Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Sale Ring Podcast Show. Trina, we hey. haven't done one of these for a while. No, and you can see why. Nobody's in studio today. <laughs> we uh, we have our post-apocalyptic show right <laughs> our now. post-apocalyptic <laughs> show. It looks, it looks like everybody survived after all. Yeah, I, yeah. I've been cooped up at home watching The Walking Dead, and it kind of scared <laughs> me a little bit with what's going on, but it turns out that... Uh, that actually is just a TV show and not an instructional manual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank God for that. <laughs> well, today we've got in the studio one of our great friends, a guy that's been on the show several times and is just uh, just first class guy. Mr. Mike Branley is joining us from Columbus, Ohio. Mike, how are you doing? Real good. Re- great to see you guys. Great to be back on and uh, everybody looks happy and healthy here. So that's a great way to start. How's everybody in uh, in the Ohio family down there? Have, do you know anybody that has been stricken by the virus that's uh, gotten caught up in this? Several. The, not close friends, not family, fortunately, but several folks that we know or auction attendees in one case that was afflicted. They're hanging in there and I think most have recovered. So good news there. But they were down, you know, a week, two, three in some cases. How about you, uh, Trina? Actually, no, I don't have anybody affected by it right now. I'm one of the lucky few out there, I think. Yeah, very good. Well, the same for me. I have some distant affiliations or friends, uh, nobody in the family that's caught the virus. And it's serious. I will give credibility to it sounds like it's serious if you're uh, afflicted with it. It's, uh, it can be a long-term process to get over that. And, and for the unfortunate few out there that may not get over it, they may succumb to it. You know, these orders have affected the auction industry, and that's why we're going to talk with Mike on the show just a little bit today. It's affected the business out there, but I'm confident it was probably some needed awareness out there to at least just kind of slow people down, separate us, let them get that kind of under control, and figure out not only the mechanics of it, but to make sure that uh, the people that are getting affected is not at such a strong rate that they can't help handle and and provide them medical attention and get them over it. So sounds like the country's done a good job of that. And uh, it's uh, about time to get back to work, hopefully. I know people are are getting pretty impatient at home. Mike, what have you been up to during this time? I'm in Ohio, as you mentioned, and I think our governor about a month or two months ago said no mass gatherings, uh, social distancing, hand sanitizer, masks came a little later, but that's been the message. We were not deemed specifically an essential business as an auctioneer, as a live auctioneer, auction house. So we were uh, forced, although gladly, moved over to online and timed auctions is what we're doing. We're shipping a lot of items all over the United States and we have scheduled pickups uh, coordinated where we keep a distance and we've got an overhead door with a, we can see through it. So they pull up, we, you know, we can facilitate isolating them from us and the property and do that. We don't have a lot of that, but because we're mostly shipping. 
you know, Trina and I talked about this the other day on another phone call that we had, but business and just our culture in general, when it goes through kind of stressful periods like this, we normally seem to emerge stronger, better disciplined, better processy, you know, in our business and, and kind of the process that we run. Though it's negatively impacting uh, possibly the economy, it's causing us to do things different in the auction business. At the end of the day, auction companies are going to be leaner, stronger, more proficient. It will cause us to tighten up our processes and what you just outlined about how you can facilitate during this time and still run a business that's got to be healthy for the business long term. Oh, I think so. And auctioneers that maybe hadn't tried online or had felt the need to sell online are learning about it and getting up to speed on it. I think leaner and more efficient. So absolutely, it's it's going to make a lot of auctioneers explore some things maybe they hadn't explored before or try some things. We're, we're a pretty innovative group, as I've noticed as I travel and you guys travel. So not surprisingly, we've adapted pretty well. Tell your friends you get your information on the Sale Ring Podcast Show. One of the things we wanted to talk about, and we might as well jump into this on the show because it's very controversial with a lot of auctioneers. The primary reason that a good, strong percentage of people get into the auction business is they they love the live outcry. They they enjoy the chant. They like the social networking at a live auction. And there have been some restrictions, some bans on assembly of groups out there. So, you know, what are some of the things that you're seeing, Mike, and as we get into this, possibly potential repercussions for not following those regulations? Well, I think they're potentially immense. That's the word I would use. When the governor of your state, and we've had federal guidelines here, say that you can't have a crowd over a certain size, that you have to maintain six feet between people and you go ahead and have a crowd and have people closer than that six feet or whatever it happens to be and somebody gets sick, well, if you're defying the governor's order, state order, federal guidelines, what have you, CDC for that matter, it's a slam dunk for somebody that gets sick or terribly worse, dies from the coronavirus. And I don't know that they would have to prove within a shadow of a doubt that, you know, it you caused it. But when you break that government order, as we were discussing, you're almost guilty till proven innocent. You're going to have to prove it didn't happen at your place. And your insurance company is going to be uh, on the hook, uh, hopefully. In that case, you got insurance and they're going to want to settle. And I don't see the upside to any auctioneer defying the governor's order or federal guidelines, or CDC recommendations, or what have you. I don't, I don't see any reason to do any of that. Mike, in that scenario, I think it would become more of a challenge out there. The issue is not going to be whether they caught the virus at the auction and took that home or took that to somebody else and spread the virus or got sick from it. You're going to spend more time defending the fact of why did you elect yeah. to go against yeah. the order and have the auction when you were instructed not to? you're already at a steep disadvantage. Well, I've argued uh, consistently on my blog and otherwise in classes I teach, you know, you can win in court, you can lose in court, but what's a much better result? Staying out of court. Yeah. And you get sued civilly or pursued criminally and you spend time in court. Well, even if you win, 
you've spent, how much time and money and resources and lost sleep, much better not to just not have the issue at all. Why take the chance? And so you can feel like you're right or correct, or we've done all the things we should have done. But uh, if you broke those orders, it's just too easy to end up in a conflict or litigation that you don't want to be in. I had an attorney, a friend that hired an attorney and fought a long, long lawsuit. And it was uh, had nothing to do with the auction business or even business in general. It was a personal issue, but he uh, he made a statement one time that was genius. He said, I've never spent so much money in my life to be right. Yeah. You know, he won. <laughs> he, he ended up winning the case, but he said, my gosh, he said, when I look back on that, that was the stupidest thing. I should have just admitted you know, we just agree to disagree and left it alone. But I decided to prove it. And he said a year or two later and lots of money. He was correct. He was right. So you can put that on his tombstone. Yes, exactly. And not something you want to put on your tombstone that you spend all that. And time, guys, time. We only are here so long. We've only got so much time, money, stress, laying awake at night having to show up at court the next day after being there three weeks in a row. That's not the way I want to spend time. That's not the way you guys want to spend time. No, no. not at all. Trina, have you done much reading or following the events about, you know, the restrictions that are being in place for live auctions? Uh, I know that we've talked about it, but do you follow that? Uh, that very I haven't read much about it, but uh, when we were at our national convention about a week before all of the shutdowns actually started, we had our United Country National Convention at that time, and we were hearing from auctioneers there what was going on and what was being put in place as we're at the convention, one state at a time during the convention. So I've kind of heard it through the grapevine um, from them, but I haven't followed along with the actual auction like news stories. So It's interesting times, and again, it's forcing people to act in their business differently than they're used to. Change is hard for a lot of people, but uh, it's also teaching some people that may have been resistant to other strategies like online auctions or different types of auctions, ways to facilitate business. It's, it's kind of forcing them to educate themselves and to either adopt that to their current practices or sit on the sideline and watch yeah. the other companies continue to operate out there until the lights get turned back on. It's the whole adapt or die kind of concept, basically, yeah. I have followed a couple auctioneers that are doing auctions. Um, They're still conducting live auctions, but they might have everybody stay in their vehicle or they're just using other modes of conducting those auctions. So, Yeah. I did see one where the um, bidders were in their cars and they either they used their horn or their lights or something to bid on a, uh, I think it was real estate. And then I saw I think I saw another one where they communicated by phone from their cars, but they were distanced or isolated. So uh, pretty innovative solutions out there. Not surprising. Yeah. Mike, has there been any cases or anything that uh, has been substantiated from uh, this transition right now that's worth talking about? Well, early on, there were some auctioneers that said, I don't care what the governor says. I don't care what the federal government says. I'm going to have my live auction. Well, that didn't work out very well. We had one right here in my state of Ohio. Uh, As I recall, we had one in Virginia and maybe Wisconsin where the sheriff's department showed up. 
And the live auction is there and the people are there and the sheriff pulls up and says, uh, you guys got to go home. And Mr. Auctioneer or Mrs. Auctioneer, I got to talk to you. What don't you understand about staying at home or social distancing or crowd size being limited? So we're going to cancel. This auction is canceled. It's over. Boy, that's not a situation. I can't think of an auctioneer that would say, yeah, that's what I want to do. Get in that situation of having an auction scheduled, live auction scheduled, and have the sheriff's department show up or the police department show up and close it down. But it did happen. That's going to be a difficult scenario for three different groups in that. The attendees, the people that are there that are getting sent home, the auctioneer, you know, if nothing else, it's embarrassing. And it's also, it's expensive. You don't know what the, um, you know, where there are damages, where there's uh, a penalty for doing that. Do you get a $500 fine or whatever? And the third person that's going to incur some damage is that seller. Seller, yeah. That you're working for that may have spent money on the marketing to have you create that event. They may have spent time or equity in putting that event together and putting that property, whether it's real or personal, online. So, there's three different groups out there that get affected by that decision to go ahead and do that anyways, where that could have been called off. That could have said, well, we can't do that live, but here's what I can do for you. And I've noticed that the online auction industry appears to be alive and well right now. Yeah, Tremendous oh, yeah. amount of online auctions taking place. Well, that's one of the great alternatives that's been around since eBay kind of started the online auction feel, if you will. You don't have to conclude eBay's an auction, but it kind of injected that thought that we can sell online. And we've had online auctions almost ever since. So many auctioneers have moved to that as a uh, substitute for their live auction. I think in your situation, we were just discussing, that sheriff's car pulls up, that seller would have a right to walk up to the auctioneer and say, you know what, you're the professional here. You're the person I hired to to represent me. Why didn't you tell me that we couldn't have this? Or why didn't you guard me against this? I, I, again, I just hate to be in that situation, particularly in light of having very reasonable, prudent alternatives available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing when people get upset, they're going to want to find some relief. That's right. If that's just a really strong butt chewing, you know, then count your blessings. You you can assess, well, you know what, I'll stand here and take that because it's the cheapest of the two. But if they're wanting damages and uh, wanting their money back, that's where you have to dip into your own pocket, possibly. Or roll your sleeves up and start uh, going to battle with them. And battle, as we just talked about, can be expensive. That's for sure. And you hope you just get, you know, a, a lashing, so to speak. And, and uh, I'm not happy and I wouldn't hire you ever again. And I'm going to talk bad about you to my neighbors and friends and coworkers. Uh, you hope it's all bad. I mean, it sounds funny to say you'd hope that, but that's a lot better than the alternative. Just the marketing funds alone make that the least likely outcome of that situation. I mean, they've already paid into the marketing. And if they got 400 people to show up that, and then they had to turn around and send him home, they're going to want that 400, you know, whatever the marketing budget was right back to try it again for the next one. No, absolutely. The Sale Ring, online at www.thesalering.com. You know, we talked a little bit, Mike, about um, some alternative ways. So if that's the case right now, and live auctions may not work in your area, there may be restrictions against that. 
Let's talk about some alternative ways that we can still conduct auctions. We can still be active in the auction business, even though the live event may not be the mechanism we like to use, uh, but we can't use. So online auctions, the online only bidding platform, you know, obviously is, is one of those. But Mike, I know there's a few others that we talked about. Well, I think I would agree with you, Sean. Online seems to be the the majority of auctioneers look at online and say, well, that's the reasonable thing to do in place of my live auction. Uh, if they were doing simulcast prior to, then they've already, they're already familiar with that. And if they um, were doing online before, they continue to do online. So I think for, I would guess for, gosh, the vast majority of auctioneers, that's been the alternative. Let's put it online. That seems reasonable. We'll ship. Uh, we'll do stage pickups or coordinated pickups. Uh, I think that's been the, the majority alternative. Some other things we talked about, sealed bids, where you send bids through the mail or email or what have you, or text or what have you. Um, that keeps social distancing. People are isolated. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't need hand sanitizer if you're doing sealed bids, where you're sitting in an office and they're flying in. We can do virtual auctions. The NAA, the National Auctioneer Association, had a webinar on virtual auctions and how the auctioneer could take bids. Sean, like you're setting, or Trina, like you're sitting, and you're you're in a room by yourself, and you're bid calling. There's nobody else in the room. Those bidders are bidding virtually, and you're still uh, maybe bid calling or facilitating those bids. Phone bids, bidding by phone, that kind of thing, coordinating with a control center or a major hub, if you will, and the phone bids and you call people and let them know they're in or out or what have you, or there's been a higher bid. Lots of different ways we can facilitate this outside of having a live auction, having a crowd and incurring that, it seems to me, almost certain liability. Mike, you mentioned phone bids, and I think most of the audience, if they're familiar with auctions, they'd be familiar with if you're having a live auction. And over to the side, there is one or two or maybe a team of people that are on the phones called a phone bank over there during the live auction. Something that I've seen that's, I think it's growing a little bit of strength in some of the ag markets is uh, kind of a concierge phone bidding platform that there is a spreadsheet. There's technology to manage this where you register and you put your name in and your phone number And then it will keep track of all of the bids that are placed, but you phone your bid in. You would call the auction company and say, what's the current bid on that farm that you're selling? Uh, That bid's $235,000. Next bid increment's $245,000. Yes, I'll bid that. And they record that. But then they pick the phone up and they call the previous bidder and they say, hey, you've just been outbid by $245,000. You need to be $255,000. And that may facilitate back and forth on multiple phone calls. You could even have two people on the phone said, yes, he bid it. Yes, he bid it. Yes, she bid it. Yes, she bid it. And once that stalls, you could reach a scenario where they say, well, let me think about that just a little bit. The bidding doesn't close until Wednesday at four o'clock. So they have a little bit of time. It would have the opportunity in the mechanism to continue kind of like a soft close if you will, at the end of an online bidding platform where we're going to, as long as you continue to bid after six o'clock, we will run the auction until the last bid's received and then we will sell the property. We'll close the auction. It's a concierge service, concierge approach that I was surprised knowing a lot of the older 
that ag sector, I kind of thought, you know, the general reaction is, well, I don't want you to take my bid and start calling people and shopping it all over. But, you know, believe it or not, they seem to appreciate that. They seem to actually like that concierge service. They can continue to work, continue to operate. I've watched this with several offices and it's growing. It's growing and and getting traction in the industry out here. So I find that interesting. Are you seeing that in Ohio or any of the places you represent? I have seen some instances of that. And I think concierge is a good term because the Holiday Inn Express doesn't have a concierge, but the Intercontinental does and the Hyatt Regency does. And the nicer hotels, and my analogy here is there's no sense doing that on uh, commodities or low dollar items or an auction house with box lots or what have you. You don't have to call people up and say, I got a dollar on this box lot. You want to go a dollar and a half. In my view, that's a waste of time. But you're selling land. You're selling collector cars, you're selling big artwork, valuable items, industrial, what have you. I think people appreciate that personal touch. And I can ask a question, I can inquire, I can get a feel from you, maybe how the other bidder's uh, behaving or what have you, or you can give me some insights. I think it's quite appropriate in the higher dollar items. I don't think it's appropriate at all in the lower dollar and or commodity market. I would agree with that. The important element is still there, which you're working towards a date and a time. You're, you're working towards finality in the process, and that's what expedites us. Otherwise, it'd be, oh, let me call me in a week, and I'll yeah. call you. <laughs> so, you know, what really brings that to a close, again, it's an auction. It's headed towards a date and time, and that forces people to make a decision. Well, a lot of people sell at auction because there is a closing date and time, and there's holding costs. They know if I'm selling real estate, I've got taxes, insurance, maintenance, utilities, opportunity costs. Uh, I can't wait another week on a sizable real estate project costs me a lot of money. I wanted to close now. I, I, <laughs> I talk to people and say, when do you want your property sold? When do you want your real property sold? They say yesterday would be the right thing. You know, they're in a hurry. Mike, the topics we've covered so far on the show, I think, are important to auctioneers. I'm confident they're important to auctioneers. They're important to the consumers, the auction-going audience out there. They'd like to know, well, what happened to the auctions? Well, unfortunately, there's some current regulations going on that uh, they've been moved to a different venue. And that venue could be online. It could be on the phone. It could be sealed bid. But there's still auctions taking place and an lot of opportunity out there. We're going to slip away. We're going to hear from our sponsors. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Mike Branley and The Sell Ring. Stand by. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out auctiontime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at auctiontime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today auctiontime.com the way to buy heavy equipment crude oil natural gas coal buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for america's mineral owners whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights mineral marketing has you covered mineralmarketing.com the oil and gas marketplace 
Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? UnitedCountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to UnitedCountry.com and find your freedom. And we're back in the sale ring with Mike Branley. Trina, we talked a little bit while we were on break with Mike about his blog, how many articles do you have, Mike, right now on your blog? Well, I know it's over a thousand. It's uh, <laughs> maybe I would say between a thousand and eleven hundred. Started in November of two thousand nine, and have been uh, working at it ever since. And as we were discussing earlier, I've been on kind of a enhanced schedule here as of late, trying to publish something every business day, Monday through Friday. Take the weekend off for the most part. And is that a lot of copy and paste from somebody or are you actually writing this? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Can you say plagiarism? How do you come up with your topics? So you've got a week in front of you and is, is this just kind of people calling you? You're in the middle of a court case or are you just kind of jotting down notes all the time that hey, this would be a pretty good blog article and then you sit down and write the article or how do these come to you? Well, those are all good questions. Uh, WordPress is the platform I use, and I would highly recommend it. They have a free plan. You can pay WordPress for a platform, but they have a, they still have a free option. And so I'm perusing through Facebook or LinkedIn, or I'm checking my text messages or, or emails or phone calls or what have you, and somebody says, hey, uh, tell me what you think of this. And I think, wow, that'd be a good topic. And I go into WordPress. I start it as a draft. And I might make just a few notes or I might copy and paste something to give me a, a start that I'm going to edit later, you know, and delete the copy and paste part, but, but use for that. So I kind of plant a seed here or here and I save that in a draft folder. Quite frankly, I got to the point here uh, just at the end of last year where I had 175 blogs in draft form. 175. Thought, 175 in draft. And I thought, wow. you know, I got to pick up the pace here. So I've been doing that. And it's been interesting because I've still got, I published a lot and I've got 140 still in there. Tell me what you mean by draft form. What's the general makeup of those when they're sitting in a draft? Partially completed, they just, you you need to read back through them and just tweak them or what's draft? Well, all the above. I can give you an example. NEA was uh, surveying once a week members and non-members on how they're dealing with the coronavirus and and what reaction they're getting and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm, once that's over, I'm going to publish my summary of that. And I'll put links to, I think I just published that this morning, the links to the actual survey results. So I started that about three weeks ago. And I put some sample links in of what's already done. I left a spot for the other two. I'd written most of it. 
And then when they completed that survey, uh, the last survey, I had another week or so to kind of fine tune it, tweak it a little bit and get it out. So all the above, there, there might be just a sentence or a starter, might be 500 words that I've got to rewrite or tweak and a lot in between. How do we find your blog? So for the listeners out there, how do they find the Mike Branley blog, uh, the name of it, you know, URL? Yep. I'm glad to answer that. And there's two answers, actually. Content marketing, which is what I'm doing. Apparently, that's what I'm doing. You try to, the endeavor for anybody doing content marketing, this podcast, no different. You try to answer the question before they ask it. You try to provide the answer. So when they go to Google and type in the question, your answer is what appears in their results. So you could find my blog by typing in any kind of I hope, at least, by any sort of general auction question, you could type that into Google because there's really only one search engine, Google, and find me on that first page as answering that question. That's the hope. Otherwise, the link, the URL, if you will, is mikebrandleyauctioneer.wordpress.com. So you could just go directly there and that would be the quickest, although we we would hope the searching is, well, I can actually, I can answer that question. I probably get five to 800 clicks a day on my blog. And I would guess, let's say it's 800, 80 to 90% of it is through Google and the rest of it is they go directly to it. Okay. All right. They're good SEO. Obviously, if you have a thousand to eleven hundred articles, you're getting good search engine optimization on that blog. It's easy to find. If you're looking for just auction industry news, stats, legal decisions, you know, cases, it comes up, it's readily available in a lot of organic searches on Google. Cause I've tested that. I've went there myself. Also, when you're typing in Mike Brandley, B-R-A-N-D-L-Y. I always want to put an E, an e in it. It's, yeah. it's B-R-A-N-D-L-Y, Mike Brandley, dot right. WordPress dot com, correct? Yeah, Mike Brandley Auctioneer dot WordPress dot com. And actually that E that you're referring to, I had an uncle who finally decided it wasn't worth the trouble, so he changed it so it had an E in it. He added the E? He added the E. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's like me getting rid of the R right there. That's not That's not how it works. You just keep fighting the fight. He didn't want to fight anymore. He just put it in there. That's funny. You know, some people are just more logical than others. They're just like, you know what? I'm not going to fight that. I'm going to argue with that. Just put the E in there. Yep. Send the check to the same address, right? Right. Right. Tell your friends you get your information on the Sale Ring Podcast Show. Here's the next question for you. There's regulations on crowd size. We talked about that a little bit earlier, but those are going to be lifted. We're going to get back to normal. We're going to have to start operating in business again. What happens once those bans, once those regulations are lifted? Are the crowds going to be there? You know, how long is it going to take? Somebody made the comment one day about people or or have a tendency to be sheeple. You know, they, one goes through the gate and the rest of them say, oh, I guess we're supposed to go through the gate. So, you know, we're conditioning them right now. And obviously tenure, the, the, the amount of time, the length of time that this goes on, the more they're going to get conditioned. But uh, what do you see to crowd size and crowds coming back to auctions? Well, I reviewed a uh, poll, Associated Press poll that came out uh, yesterday that divided the United States population into three groups. And one group, 
still think, (laughs) I think it's still think, this is a hoax. It's no worse than the flu. I can go out. I'm not going to catch it. You can't die from it. It's all media driven. What happened? There's 12%. And I might add a very vocal, loud, boisterous 12% that I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is over twice that number, 26% in this AP poll that say the restrictions aren't strong enough that we should enforce the stay at home, shelter in place, mask, sanitizer, et cetera, distancing, more so, not less, more. And then there were 61% that said the restrictions as they are at the moment are uh, about right. They're appropriate. Appropriate. So here's the danger. Auctioneer says, ah, the governor has said that uh, we can uh, open up business as usual. So I'm going to pop out here and have a live auction. These statistics would suggest to me that 90% of your bidders, buyers, might say, business is not open for me. It might be open for you, but it's not open for me. Well, what's a live auction with no bidders? It's called lonely. And a seller is going to say, why in the heck did we have this live auction? There's nobody here. So an auctioneer could, I guess the summation here is, an auctioneer could feel as if the government has said I can have a live auction. I don't think that's the important question at all. It's an important question, but not the important question. The important question is, if I have a live auction, are there going to be bidders present, enough bidders present to have a properly conducted, commercially reasonable auction? I like the way that you stated that because, you know, in essence, you're, you're saying our, our job is to find the market for the property. That's, that's what an auction company or even a real estate, traditional real estate is if you're going to entrust me to market your property, my job is to go out and find that market right. and to deliver that market to you. So knowing what we should know as professionals in the auction industry, are we going to utilize the tool too soon? to the disadvantage of our sellers just because we want to call an auction, just because we want to have a live auction. And my, my question at a bare minimum is, would you still, in addition to that live event, offer online bidding and broadcast that and put as much time and effort behind the online component? Because that may be out of the safety and security from that 61%. That may be where they're going to still remain at home. Say, I'd I'd really like to buy that, but I'm not going out there in that crowd, but I would participate online. And that's what I think I'm hearing you say. Yeah. And we discussed earlier about the uh, Hyatt Regency and the Intercontinental versus Holiday Inn Express. I think if you're selling high dollar stuff, high caliber stuff, valuable stuff, uh, simulcast makes a lot of sense. Uh, you take the collector car market, the uh, Sotheby's and Christie's, you take it, Ritchie Brothers, you look at all those companies, a lot of the events United Country does, you've got valuable stuff that you can justify the expense. Because see, simulcast is the most expensive way yeah. to sell something because get versus live or online because you've got to double the work. You've got to build the system for the online bidder. You've got to build the system for the live bidder. Are you getting enough benefit, enough bang for the buck by doing simulcast? That's the question. I think on low dollar commodity, as I mentioned earlier, I doubt the benefit outweighs the cost. I couldn't agree more. Trina, you, you're at home right now. You have your your family there and obviously you want safety and security for your family, but you also would like to go out and conduct business. You're going to the grocery store. I want to go to Target. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) 
<laughs> when you go to the grocery store, you go to get fuel necessities uh-huh. that you have to have right now. Are yeah. you you being overly cautious? Are you you wearing any yes. additional? Yes and no. I mean, I'm not the person that has the mask on and the gloves on and whatnot, but I'm also not the person taking my entire family with me everywhere I go. So a little bit of both, I guess. Yeah, good point. And I think there's a lot of people like I think they're in the same mindset that Trina just stated. They, you know, I'm hyper cautious right now, but I'm not trying to turn that into paranoia. Yeah, right. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I want to do my part to protect myself and and to preserve my health. Yeah. So um, it's interesting. It's uh, definitely interesting times. If you would have told people a year ago that we'd be going through this in the yeah. United States. There would be a stay-at-home order, you know, and businesses would be shut down. And over 20% of the labor force would be out of work right now because of the closing Nobody of would bars, have believed it. Yeah. restaurants, and, and businesses. Nobody would have believed that. They'd say, oh, I can't see that happening. That'd cause the end of the world. What are you talking about? Well, we're navigating it. You know, and, and I would say as a culture, we're navigating it very well. Most people that I run across, even though they would kind of like to go back to their normal routine, most people that I visit with uh, in person, on the phone and stuff, they're pretty upbeat still. They're saying, well, we'll get through this. You know what? It's, uh, it's been 60, 90 days, and, and I think it's starting hopefully to taper off. But I can see light at the end of the tunnel here, and, and I think we're going to be fine. I I suspect those folks you're talking with or feel that way are in that 88, I think is the number, 88% that feel like, well, these are prudent steps and I'm going to not take unnecessary chances and I'm going to stay in as I as I can. Now, Trina's got to get to the store or Target or what have you. I understand that. So do I. I want uh, to go to Target. I'm not go. going to Target. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that 12% that says this is a hoax and this is just all made up and there's no risk, those folks aren't in the same mindset as the 88 percent yeah you're listening to the sale ring podcast taking real estate and auction to the next level i'm visiting with a gentleman that is in the science industry and uh, he works with somebody that's in their 40s early on whenever they had just started instituting stay at home you know uh, no large groups no large gatherings this guy elected to go to a family event may have been a wedding. It was a family event, but he came back and uh, he has tested positive for the COVID-19. He has a a family, has a wife and a daughter. They have tested positive also. And he is on his 15th, 18th day. um, He's in the hospital on a respirator in his 40s. You know, and this guy's otherwise healthy. But his body is struggling to fight against this virus. It's gotten down into his lungs. He has a severe pneumonia. It's not letting up. And, and uh, they're treating that the best they can by keeping him at 40 years old and healthy on a ventilator. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's a hoax. You know, I've had the, com- I've had the flu. Uh, I get a respiratory infection, you know, every other year or so. And I run to the doctor and get a pack or some type of an antibiotic and try to get it all knocked out and coughed up and, and get over it as quick as I can. This is a little different. This is a little more severe. And uh, I would also mention this, Mike and, and Trina. My son is in a graduate program. He's getting his doctorate right now at the University of Florida uh, in chemistry, in some discipline of chemistry. He's tried to tell me I'm not smart enough to keep up with him there. But, uh, right. 
And he said, Dad, you know, we've been through this before. He said, most people, they just, it goes past and they forget it. But the swine flu, H1N1, yeah. uh, there's other types of coronaviruses. He said, SARS, you know, when, it, when there was an outbreak of SARS and, and that got into the United States. Most people don't remember that uh, probably or don't think about that. But when people, you know, when the government, when they're instituting policies and say, hey, just stay away from each other for a little bit so that it's not jumping from host to host out here and just let us kind of get it under control. They can knock it out a lot quicker. And by doing that, we can get back to that normal course of life a lot quicker and we're not amplifying the problem. So I, I've been overly impressed that for the most part, I think that the average American citizen is doing their part right now to get this shut down. And I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Yeah. I had a, Interesting story, a class, real estate class prior to the uh, just doing them online or what have you, had a former House of Representatives member here in Ohio. Actually, he was Speaker of the House for a number of years in class. He's got a real estate license. So he's getting some CE. And he mentioned to the class, and I just thought it was really appropriate. He said, you know, I've been in the legislature a long time. And when an issue comes up, we'll have this side over here that votes against it. But we'll have this side over here that has some personal touch or has some personal experience with the issue, and they'll vote the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. I think, guys, I think more and more people are becoming a little more aware of, because they know somebody, they see in the news that somebody died or somebody got sick or somebody they didn't expect, Tom Hanks and his wife. I mean, you see stuff like that. You say, you know what? I'm starting to think maybe this is the real deal. I'm seeing more people that have had a personal touch and they see an issue differently than somebody that says, well, I don't know anybody that's got it. Nobody around here has it. Well, they can't really see the issue clearly. It doesn't seem to me. So I think I do. I, I agree with you, Sean and Trina. People are handling it quite well. And I think we're going to get out of this uh, sooner rather than later if we stay on this track. Agreed. Well, you know, one thing that I, I think we can all agree on is, um, there are people that will take advantage of these situations and uh, they'll over promote, you know, they'll create an agenda. Unfortunately, yeah, right. politics should not weigh into this. This should not be about any political gain. This should just be about, hey, we have a, a viral issue in the country and here's what we need to do to get it shut down quickly so we can get back to work. But there are people with agendas that will, will promote and over promote that. The economy has been really, really good in the United States. We've had very positive, you know, strong unemployment rates or, or not high unemployment rates, but low unemployment rates. And, you know, there's a lot of positive things going on in the country that I, they're, they're kind of getting squashed right now because we're putting all of our effort and all of our attention on this. But as I say, this too shall pass. It's just a classic struggle between the public's health, the general overall public's health, and you're killing my business here. I'm going to be out of business. I'm going to have unemployed people. I can't survive. You're penalizing me for the public's health, but why should I pay that price? And it's a tough, I understand it's tough for a lot of people to, to weigh or assess the difference between the right for the public to be healthy and the right for me to conduct business. And so, um, and we'll continue to see that, I'm sure. 
Good comments from our friend, Mr. Mike Branley. We're going to slip away. We're going to have one more, uh, hear from our sponsors one more time, and then we'll be back. We'll wrap up. So bear with us or stay with us just for a minute. We'll be right back. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? UnitedCountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to UnitedCountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. Well, Mike, as always, it's a pleasure to uh, to have you on the show. And, and I know that Trina and I, we find it so informative every time that yeah. you're on. Lots and lots of information. Well, thanks for having me. A pleasure to see you guys again. And gosh, it's been a little while since we were, uh, did one. And now we're, um, you can actually see us. Uh, I know. So exciting. I'm not sure I like this yeah. one that much. <laughs> oh, I think it'll be great. So. You should like it better than Mike and I do. Yeah. No. That's no right. offense, Mike. <laughs> no, I understand. No, I'm just joking, Mike Brandley. You're a handsome man, so yes, oh, is that right? on okay. record. All right, I'll take it. I, you're not right, but I'll take it. How do uh, tell us one more time before we go? How does the uh, the listeners find you online? What's a great way to contact Mike Brandley? Well, I'm not ashamed of my phone number uh, nor my uh, blog address. So MikeBrandleyAuctioneer.wordpress.com. You can always go there to read up or, or see what I published lately, uh, probably that morning. And secondly, my phone number is 614-461-9229. And I'm glad to take a text or a call if you got a question or a comment or better yet, a um, hey, why don't you write a blog about this? Because I'm, I'm only, I've only got 140 left in the hop. <laughs> Only 140 <laughs> left, folks. He's running out of ideas. <laughs> Mike, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And ladies and gentlemen, we will take the audio file from this show and turn this into an audio podcast and place it on thesalering.com. That's thesalering.com. When that goes up, we'll make sure and put links in there how you can contact Mike Brandley, uh, his phone number, since he's not ashamed of his phone number. And on behalf of Mike and Trina and myself, we want to thank you very much for tuning in to this episode. 
and we will see you again inside the sale ring. This episode has ended, but your journey to greatness continues. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesailring.com now. That's www.thesailring.com.